Ray likes to create cold opens, and so we like to have some funny bullshit or whatever. Well, why would you tell me that? Now the, now the pressure's on. Welcome to Bonus Experience. Are you happy to be here? Was that was that me? That was, that was aimed at you, yeah. Yes. Yes, I am. Yes. Okay, cool. This is a podcast with a deeper look at the play experience and the finer details of running and writing games. I'm flying solo tonight. Just Monica. Sorry. But I'm a queer woman speaking with authority about games. That's what the show is about. Also, we swear. Mendez, you can swear as much as you want. And okay. make dirty jokes. It's totally okay. cool. And our audience well, is directly told to die mad about it. Okay. Um, yeah, you all know me. I'm Monica. I'm your resident industry professional person who schedules interviews and whatnot. And I'm here with my friend and colleague, James Mendez-Hodes. So Mendez, go ahead, take it away. Tell our audience who you are and what you do. Hey, what's good? Uh, I'm Mendez. I am a game writer, developer, editor, and cultural consultant. I live in the greater New York metropolitan area. And I also really like martial arts. That's actually the thing in my life that I'm most excited about, but I don't <laughs> get to talk about it quite as often not least of all because i have a i have a minimal martial arts pictures on facebook rule oh oh yeah what's this what is the well, minimal I martial just, arts picture i just don't want to be one of those guys with like a martial arts facebook profile picture oh yeah like i'll i'll totally tag myself in if someone takes a photo of me at a seminar or if something mm-hmm. funny happens at practice or something like that but I, I just i don't want to be on facebook in my profile picture with a sword yeah I can understand why you wouldn't want that. <laughs> uh, there's just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so since you're really into martial arts, that's part of why we asked you to come on here. Also, you have a really great blog teaching people Thank how you. not to be racist. Thank you. Or at least educating people on that. In fact, in our episode, we were, our episode that was basically like white people, could you not? Uh, <laughs> we did reference that people go read your blog. <laughs> I am very glad. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're we're both pretty big fans of it. And today we're going to talk to you about avoiding racism when writing a martial arts game. So like your two favorite things. Yes. I got peanut butter in your chocolate. <laughs> I'm allergic to peanut butter. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you like mint chocolate? Yeah, mint chocolate site. Mint chocolate. There we go. I got mint in your chocolate. Nice. I didn't know that. Also featured on this podcast is the trains that go by across the street from my house. So, Oh, cool. Our imaginary editor, Margaret, will take care of that with the marvelous editing plugin called Noisegate and just will select sound of train, Noisegate, gone. No, no worries. That's what's up. On my end, there's a wonderful white noise sound of a, a fan running in the background. Oh, cool. This is hot. Yeah. So, I mean, we've certainly bonded over our mutual love of like supernatural martial arts games and whatnot. Yes. And these sorts of things are unfortunately often produced by white people who are blind to the Orientalism that is endemic to them. Indeed. In a lot. <laughs> so we're together going to have a discussion and hopefully our audience will learn how to do less of that. Yes. Um, so let's, let's jump right into it. So is there anything like a word, a concept, a phrase, such and such 
that when you see it, that sets the warning bells off. You you already know someone is wandering down this Orientalist racist yes. path. Yes. Or well, maybe I, I should uh, just <laughs> break it down into like, what terms, words, phrases, or ideas should people avoid because they're le problematique? Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm glad you asked because there are many. Um, <laughs> uh, first among them is, of course, Oriental. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. We, we don't we don't say that anymore. Some of us say it less than others. I understand it's a more common thing to more common way to describe East Asia in like England these days. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anytime anything talks about the Orient, I'm immediately a little worried that someone has been in a bunker for the past, you know, 20, 30 years of social justice. <laughs> so Orient is a is a bad one. Mystic or mystical. This is on my list of words where I don't know what they mean. And I'm pretty sure no one else actually does either. And so what they actually turn out to mean is just something racist. So when people talk about, for example, the mystic Orient, to combine some of my some of my favorite phrases, talking about a mystical dimension of the martial arts or of Eastern culture often is a first step into various kinds of othering, which we're going to talk about in detail throughout this podcast. So those are some bad, those are some bad words. And then, so some other things where I guess this is more of a usage in context kind of thing. So I worry when I see foreign language terminology used for concepts which you could otherwise describe appropriately in the language in which you're writing or talking. So those tend to indicate that actively or passively, you see the thing, the concept that you're talking about as fundamentally somehow different from when they do a similar thing around where you live. So some examples that sometimes come up in the context of martial arts discussions are the term kata, which is a a Japanese term meaning a form or like a sequence of moves practiced in martial arts or some other movement form, or the use of the term chi or ki, which just means breath and has some, I'm not going to say mystical, I'm not going to say mystical, (laughs) Um, uh, has uh, certain magical or medical connotations in uh, an Indian or Chinese or Japanese or Korean context, but it still does mean breath. Those are some examples. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I have actually have a specific question for you about those two words in particular. Yeah. And you may not know the answer, but do they typically refer to something very specific? And so in using them, they are also appropriative on top of othering. Is it is it something like that as well? Yes, yes. So one thing that often happens in uh, Western depictions of Eastern martial arts, Eastern magic, Eastern culture, Eastern philosophy, is that these things are presented as really foreign or different. And the reason what the, the thing that makes them foreign or different then actually turns out to be a Western concept that's just been skinned with an Eastern word. So, for example, in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, if you play as a monk, you get key points. That's, again, ki, ki, the, uh, the Japanese word for breath, cognate with Chinese chi, and uh, Sanskrit prana. So, as a monk, as a which is this mystical martial artist class, yes, explicitly mystical, you get this battery of points which you can spend on, depending on what kind of monk you are, things like punching someone more times than usual, or turning yourself invisible, or 
wall running and your battery of points is they're called key points which just means breath points and that isn't even like the idea of breath being or key being a battery of power that you spend on doing cool stuff i i don't know does does even does dragon ball work that way maybe it's maybe that's from (laughs) dragon ball i'm not sure dragon ball knows how it works to be quite honest that is another podcast (laughs) Yeah, um, but I, no, I, but I, I don't think that works, though, because like if your power level is over 9000 in Dragon Ball and then you throw a really big color ball at somebody else, your power level doesn't go down, right? You're not like spending it out of your so that that isn't even a Dragon Ball thing. That's just Dungeons and Dragons wanted a word to describe your magical battery of power. And I guess they didn't want to call it mana because that's appropriating from the wrong culture. So they called it key, I guess. Yeah, it's a, it's a good as explanation as any. So the use of those or misuse of those common terms is a is definitely a red flag. Using the term martial arts only to describe Asian styles of combat is weird. There is no reason that you couldn't describe Senegalese lamb or Afro-Brazilian capoeira or Italian like cloak and dagger stuff as martial arts. But often in fantasy fiction and in role-playing games, it's only a martial art if it's from Asia and then only usually East Asia. And using that term only for East Asian martial arts, just literally others, those combat styles. I mean, historical European martial arts, thankfully now is becoming popular and at least they call it that so maybe that's going to spread but it's still a red flag that i see sometimes and then along with those we get these weird sets of qualitative associations with what asian styles are like it's assumed that even in a world that even in a world that acknowledges both east asian combat east asian like teacher to student pass down combat traditions as well as european or african teacher to student pass down combat traditions the asian styles are soft gentle finesse they're subtle and low-tech and hidebound and mysterious and mystical and then the european or african styles then become hard brutal aggressive practical iconoclastic and future-minded and it's almost like people's racial associations have some kind of gendered dimension yeah 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 weird yeah. Oh, and honor. I hate when people talk about Asian people being honorable or Asian martial artists being honorable because it's overplayed because people are really unspecific about what it means. And it ends up being a vague mishmash of qualities people associate with a sort of ephemeral Asianness in behavior that ends up being really non-specifically defined. There's these street dancers in New York who, at the end of their show, they jump over these tourists and they get two hot girls out of the audience and then they get an Asian guy and they're like, yeah, we also want to jump over one Asian guy. And they grab the Asian guy and they say, if you do not help us, you bring dishonor upon your family. That's, uh, that's something. Yeah. I mean, last time I checked, it was like 10 years ago that they were doing okay. this. Maybe, maybe they've stopped. I hope so. I really hope so. <laughs> Me too. You ever hear something so flabbergastingly offensive that your first reaction is just to be like, oh, yes, frequently. <laughs> which is how, how I felt about that. And I was like, oh, God, if I laugh right now, it's going to yeah. look really bad on this show. <laughs> but it was yeah. one of those like, oh, God, oh, no, yeah. how terrible. it's so fucking terrible. The only thing I can think to do is laugh. Yep, oh, that's, that's a lot of my professional life. 
<laughs> it's so terrible. The only thing you can think to do is laugh. Oh, mm-hmm. fuck. Yeah. So as I mentioned a little bit earlier, our audience has hopefully listened to that episode where we were like, white people, could you not? And if you did, you've already been coached on the value and necessity of hiring sensitive. Sensitive. Boy, Margaret, cut that. Let's redo it. <laughs> They've already been coached on the value of hiring sensitivity readers and authors of culture that you, the designer, may want to see represented. And if you haven't, pause the episode immediately. Go back and listen to it. Okay, now that you're back, Mendez, let's talk about some things that people can do to prevent wandering off into Orientalism or other such racist nonsense. Sure. So yeah, uh, the first two things you always hear when we talk about representing cultures that aren't your own, demographics that aren't your own, are talk to people from that culture and do your research. I want to talk about some of the practicalities of doing research and which kinds of research are real good. So you want to start to get a, a sense of what makes a good or bad source. Um, how, learning, getting a, a sense of which sources seem like they're bullshit or not. For example, I, I brag that I'm really, really good at evaluating whether a martial arts school is going to be good or not, depending based on how good its website is or what its website is like. So for example, stuff that I stuff that I look at, font choice, right? You can tell a lot about whether a website or a martial arts school or a role-playing game source book about an East Asian topic is going to be terrible or not based on the font choice. If the font looks like it belongs on a Chinese menu, that's probably a bad sign. Yeah, yeah if, if they use a lot of papyrus, that's a bad sign. Like I'll, I'll, I'll provide, uh, perhaps in the links to this, in the notes to this show, I can provide some of my least favorite martial arts sites for- By all, by uh, all means. Yeah, because they're they're great and you'll love them. So I'll provide some links. I think with martial arts, doing practical physical research is both fun and practical. If you are so, a lot of martial arts schools offer like free trial classes, or will allow you to like watch a free trial class just without paying anything or anything like that. So go to schools in your area and go to trial classes, and you don't actually have to like participate in them you can just watch and that should give you some some good information on how people move and how people talk about martial arts and what kind of things people value when you interact with real practitioners you also can there's some people out there who are really good at fighting or who have really good pedigrees in their styles who are still awful cultural appropriators and that's too bad but having some research you can look at and then decide whether people are good or bad, at least based on something rather than nothing is great. And you can compare that to the stuff that you're reading on the internet or the videos that you're watching. But having that in-person experience, actually going there and doing it is highly recommended. The other thing about talking to martial arts practitioners to get information is that when you talk to someone who's from a marginalized identity to find out about their demographic and their experiences, uh, very often talking to you is going to be work. It's going to be hard for them. It's going to be emotionally taxing. They might have to do some emotional labor and other kinds of labor in the process. And so you should probably at least buy them dinner on account of that. With martial artists, you're going to have the opposite problem. Martial artists want to talk to you too much about what they're doing. This, this is very true. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how long they've been doing it. And in fact, there's like a sweet spot of people who have just been doing a martial art for like a couple of years who are in the place where like they want to talk about it the most. Martial artists will just they'll start talking to you about their style and their experiences and all this stuff, and they'll just never stop. So get comfortable and 
fix yourself a drink. So yes, talk to practitioners. Everyone wants to talk to you about it. Everyone wants to talk to you too much about it. It's like asking board game people, tell me about your favorite board game. Like you're going to have that experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, yeah. Learn to present your content with the context. So this concept is super, super important uh, over a few different representation topics, but especially when we talk about martial arts, because there's this conversation that you don't ever want to get into. Well, I don't know. There are many people who want to get into this conversation, mostly on mostly on forums with black backgrounds on the internet and <laughs> dubious, but maybe not all the way worse fonts about which martial art is the best. And this conversation is always inevitably terrible and meaningless because conversations about which martial art is the best, I feel like they tend to end up being kind of cauldrons of colonialism and toxic masculinity. If you look at, for example, uh, mixed martial arts competitions, which purportedly started out as a way for different practitioners to compete and figure out which of their styles was actually the best one, it's never actually been that. The context of mixed martial arts and the idea that there's this octagon where you're going to go in and you're going to wear gloves and you're not going to strike in certain ways and you're not allowed to like stomp on someone's head while they're down, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's all these rules which are there for safety, which is good, but it means that you're trying to take the context out of combat and you're trying to take the meaning out of the techniques until you're left with just the technique. This isn't a very useful way to evaluate whether a technique is useful. Techniques evolve in context specifically to address the context that they're from. You punch a certain way because it's good for the context that you're punching in. And if you were in a different context, you'd probably punch a different way, which is the way that they do it around there. So the idea of mixed martial arts as a white room where combat goes to be distilled into its absolute pure form is itself colonialist. Or for those of you who, who play Super Smash Brothers, Final Destination is still a stage. <laughs> uh, applying context to this content, get in the habit of describing not only what a martial art does, but also why it does it and what kind of uh, social and environmental and physical factors affect the choices that go into it. You don't want attributes of styles and eventually those attributes cascade into attributes of cultures to become like racial modifiers in D&D &D, where all orcs have plus strength and constitution and minus intelligence. People get stronger or smarter or tougher or whatever because of context and because of environmental factors. And the more that you can present those things as a product of history and environment, the richer your description is going to be and the less likely you are to say something inadvertently racist. And then you can cross-apply this idea to other situations like, huh, why is this person of color losing their cool during a traffic stop? Is maybe there some context or history that's led into what seems to me like a bad choice? I just nodded this great audio. So, you know, excellent. <laughs> and finally, represent martial arts from parts of the world that you didn't know had martial arts. There are martial arts from everywhere and in every population. And the only reason that a certain group or a certain region might seem like it doesn't have any martial arts, the only reason that might happen is that at some point, someone who had more iron or more saltpeter or something like that came in and stomped on them and exterminated their martial art. You can see a lot of this dynamic happen within recent history, the past one or 200 years in a lot of places in India. There are indigenous Sri Lankan martial arts, which 
the British imperialists systemically stamped out so that they now exist only as a shadow of their former selves. And this is true all over the world. There are loads and loads of endangered or dying martial arts uh, or martial arts that have been exterminated. And that's often a tragedy. But when you can use your platform, limited as it may be, as a game designer to highlight the combat styles from cultures which aren't normally associated with martial arts, you actually make the world a much safer place for Asian martial artists because martial arts doesn't become just an Asian thing. I was particularly struck by you talking about the context being important for a fighting style as a world building point. I mean, uh, I did know that like, you know, you punch a certain way because that's the way that is best for where you live. If you are a creating whole cloth, a fantasy setting that in- involves like supernatural fighting arts that are even maybe based in loosely on real world fighting arts, then you want that context. And even if you're making up whole cloth, like your own s- species of creature that, has a martial art, you want to think about what context they use it in and not other it. Yes. yes. <laughs> so I'm yeah. going to mute you for a hot second while I do the mid-episode break by myself. Okay. This is where we show for money. You can go get your, go f- refresh on your tea or whatever. And I'm going to, I'm going to mute right. you and we're going to do this. I'm going to do this. Anyway, BXP and the mid-episode break room are brought to you by the Misdirected Mark Network. Ding. Become a BXP patron. Even $3 a month gets you access to our outline, too many episodes of bonus content every month, and our actual play. Bonus content goes up three times a month. Also, all patrons have access to a special room on our Discord. They get a cool color, and like we leak stuff and occasionally live stream shows. So give us some money. And if you'd rather support BXP without committing to monthly payments, you can still buy a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash BXPcast and buy our stuff, including products made by our guests including this one, which will go up on the site when we're done. You can also check out our merch page with t-shirts, mugs, phone cases, notebooks, and more. Treat yourself to something cool and support us while doing it. bxpcast.com forward slash bxpswag. I don't know why I keep saying forward slash. Like, does anybody use backslash? Whatever. Uh, Saying nice things is always free. Leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google, or wherever you listen and help us get more listeners. Good reviews really do bring in an audience and also make us feel good. So if you like bonus experience, you will also like this Misdirected Mark Network show. Down with D&D. Chris and the Mad Wizard Sean Merwin dish out everything about D&D with a focus on the brand and the newest edition of the world's most popular tabletop RPG. All right, got that taken care of. Now I can unmute you. Are you back? You're still there. Didn't wander off too far. Cool. All right, so you know, I mean, we met at we met at Metatopia over this particular subject. So yes. do you do you do you want to talk about Exalted? <laughs> I suppose <laughs> that, like many conversations, regardless of what it started out as between us, we're going to end up talking about Exalted. Exalted. Yeah, Monica, what's what's Exalted? Oh God, that is such a hard question to answer. Nobody can agree about what Exalted is, which is truly the problem. And that is why I am one of the developers of the Exalted Storyteller's Guide. <laughs> That's rough, buddy. Yeah, it really is. Exalted is, I suppose, ostensibly, I would call it like a Bronze Age superheroes slash demigods game. But other people would disagree with me. Does it have steel? Uh, questionably, yes. I, I think there's places in creation that do have steel. What are Diclaves made of? I don't know. And I don't really want to get fan aggro. (laughs) (laughs) They're made of the magical materials, which are alloyed with. (laughs) So. (laughs) 
so yeah, uh, Exalted was originally published by White Wolf Publishing back in like 2000 was the first edition. Early, maybe 1999. It's contemporary maybe. with third edition D&D. Got it. So it had a similar system to a lot of other like like old World of Darkness like that. It has D10s in uh, yeah. pools. And the, the back of the core book boasted before the World of Darkness, there was a savage age of adventure. Right. Savage. Yep. That, yep. Another, that Those were the words. Word. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So Exalted is quote unquote anime inspired, whatever that means. Whatever that means. <laughs> Practically speaking, it means that it has been extremely Orientalist for uh, much of its existence. Third edition is attempting to defray the weight of that cultural inertia. It's, 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 we're doing our best, but there's a lot to unentangle. <laughs> there's a lot to yes. disentangle. Given that yeah. uh, one of the things I think Exalted was trying to do, at least from its inception, was do like big fantasy, but without mm-hmm. Western influence. And so instead of dragons and knights and wizards and white people, it was Orientalism instead. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it Which, still manages to have all of those things that you just said. Yeah, it does. Yes, except we don't call yeah. call them any of that except uh, dragons and knights. Yeah, sometimes yeah. there's an Asian word for that instead. Sometimes there's um, an Asian word for that instead. Yes, correct. <laughs> so, uh, one thing that frustrates me about Exalted, specifically from a martial arts perspective, is that this setting is painted in such broad strokes and is so explicitly unrealistic that you'd think that the the details of martial arts styles, peculiarities of you know the angle at which you punch, would get elided or written off but exalted has a particular focus on martial arts and correct me if i'm wrong i I think this is still true in in third edition to some extent there's hand-to-hand combat in exalted and then there's hand-to-hand combat with or without weapons uh where you use superpowers while you're doing it to make it better and then there's martial arts which are a separate thing from both of those things i just said right yes it still basically works that way in that like if i am a solar if I'm a Dawn cast, I have melee and I have solar melee charms, which are still supernatural fighting abilities for my sword. And then I can also have a sword martial arts style as a discrete mechanical entity. Right. So martial arts in Exalted, they're spelled with a capital M and a capital A, and they are a metaphysically supernaturally different form of hand-to-hand combat, which usually involves uh, unarmed fighting and then many of them also have a weapon or some weapons involved or some of them maybe don't in third edition now you can use a different ability instead of them all being shoehorned under the specific weird martial arts ability okay so i could have like the bows martial art correct remember how wood dragon used to use bows now it can also just straight up use archery Oh, great. Well, that's that's convenient. Yeah. Uh, this is super meaningful to all of us who do have the context of Exalted. <laughs> Our audience cool. is used to it by now because we get off on an, on an Exalted tangent sometimes without context at least once an episode. So, Oh, good. All right. Y'all are, y'all are used to this. So, yeah. so Exalted's presentation of martial arts reifies and mechanizes Orientalist conceptions of how martial arts work and what makes what makes East Asian fighting styles fundamentally metaphysically different from when people swing swords in similar ways in Europe or whatever. This is a problem, and it's also deeply enshrined, along with many other Orientalist concepts, in Exalted's lore, now in three editions in. Yeah. 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 
looking forward to writing on the storyteller's guide. That'll be fun. I'm looking forward to having you on that. Thank you. Uh, that'll, that'll be good. I'm looking forward to what you got, what you'll have to say. I, I can't. It might be a lot of this same stuff. You might hear some of these things retraced, which is good because then they'll be officially in print and that'd be nice. I think I'm going to piggyback off of this exalted talk and, and we can, we can jaw a little bit about like the idea of supernatural fighting arts, which I don't think yes. in itself is racist or orientalist or is it no i do not think so i think that the guidance that i would give people in terms of how they want to present supernatural martial arts is i encourage people to look at the myths and legends that come out of each individual combat style in its own cultural context and try to create fiction and games which depict the martial art from its own internal perspective that's good advice yeah, I'll, I'll give a couple of examples from, from styles that I practice. So I've done many different martial arts, and a couple of the ones that I'm most serious about have their own traditions of obviously fictional legendary attached to them. In Capoeira Angola, for example, so Capoeira is an Afro-Brazilian martial art. Uh, it's also a dance like many West African martial styles. It comes from Brazil and has a lot of influence from older African martial arts as well as Native American and European traditions. And Capoeira has its whole, its own whole canon of legendary, often enshrined in official uh, Capoeira songs, which are a huge, huge part of training. You can't learn capoeira without learning to sing and learning to play instruments and the songs tell all these stories about the great heroes of old and the great heroes of last century and so forth and they all have a lot of supernatural content and stuff that we would consider you know mythological or religious from like a, a hidebound western colonialist rationalist viewpoint talking about capoeiristas who could transform into animals or who had magical amulets that protected them from harm and all of these things draw on these older West and Central African traditions of religion and magical practice, which are still alive and which many, many, many people in Brazil uh, practice. And I'm not going to say believe in, because I think that belief and faith are inappropriate concepts to apply to a lot of West and Central African martial arts, but um, there are things that people do. I think practice is a really good word for that. Yeah, practice yeah. is real good. Yeah. So if I were a Western colonialist and I were attempting to conform capoeira to an inherently Western game design, like Dungeons and Dragons, for example, which comes from a very European context, I might attempt to characterize capoeira using the language that I was already using for, say, Dungeons and Dragons monks and try to find some way to give them key points and stuff like that. And that's not... This approach to representing capoeira isn't damned, but it's not going to give you the same specificity and it's not going to give you the same respect and accuracy towards the original culture as you would if you were trying to depict capoeira story in the way that capoeira players tell it. And you were trying to bring in the structure of capoeira songs and legendary and talk about magic using this Afro-Atlantic context. And yeah, like capoeira players know that a lot of the stuff that they talk about being able to do and a lot of the stuff that even goes into training isn't considered scientifically real. And that's not a problem for us. There isn't a, there isn't a contradiction there. And we're using our human ability to, to use cognitive dissonance and we're using our human ability to see similar concepts from like different perspectives and using like different 
forms of metaphysical and eschatological perspective to to do all of these things at the same time without having to make them conflict. I also do this style called Bujinkan Budo Taijutsu, which is a conglomeration of nine different Japanese styles associated with either samurai or ninja warfare. And the prehistory of those styles has lots and lots of stories about monks coming out from China and living in the Japanese countryside and teaching their secrets to the the first proto ninja and stuff like that. So those stories have they have their own rhythm, they have their own they have their own tropes and storytelling traditions which interface with esoteric Buddhism and Chinese Taoism and all of these ideas which you can't get if you try to digest them so that they work with a European magic system or a European religious system that you've already created. You're not going to get it unless you try to see these cultures the way that they see themselves. Your stories will feel richer and more different for it without actually having to other anybody. Again, I was like, yeah, okay. I'm nodding, which is, again, excellent audio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine going to a real world source f- full of its own history and context would improve your storytelling. Imagine. Yeah. <laughs> what a, what yeah. a novel concept. Yeah, you'll still get supernatural martial arts. It'll just highlight different kinds of storytelling if you really want to get it right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, obviously, Exalted is is a bad example. And as it as a game, it continues to be a, a gold standard for what not to do. <laughs> We've talked about this plenty of times on the show. Yeah. Um, so how about some recommendations you might have for games that use martial arts or in this martial arts genre that aren't racist and, and do this actually particularly well? Cool. So I don't feel like I know this genre super well, but one of the games that's often held up as the gold standard of a realistic martial arts game is a very old game called The Riddle of Steel. The Riddle of Steel was written by Jake Norwood, who is an extremely accomplished European longsword fencer and uh, organizes longsword and uh, historical European martial arts tournaments, goes to Gen Con. He's He's a cool guy. So The Riddle of Steel was his attempt to make a, I think it's still fantasy. I think there's still some magic stuff, but the most exciting part about Riddle of Steel is the combat mechanisms. And it represents like realistic, like old European combat really, really accurately. The Riddle of Steel was a huge influence on the Burning Wheel. And yeah, okay, Burning Wheel is kind of like having a second job, but... <laughs> And I wouldn't I wouldn't describe Burning Wheels combat as necessarily realistic. It involves a lot of individually realistic elements and then uses them to create a certain kind of dramatic intensity that I find really satisfying. And a lot of people out there really don't find satisfying. It's a really specific taste. But I think that if you're interested in looking at realistic feeling depictions of martial arts, Burning Wheel is definitely something that you'd get a lot out of looking at, even if ultimately you decide, I want to do the exact opposite of this. There's an old French game called Chin the Warring States. And this is the game where I I get every book that exists for this game and will never get to play it. It's a little bit older. It's French. uh, And it's about pre-unification China. China when like steel is this really cool thing that some people have and like no one knows how to make it. So it's before Chin Shi Huang actually unified China under his rule and it's beautiful and I think a really successful portrayal of Chinese historical fiction and Chinese martial fiction in a way that 
feels like not othering, not exotifying and not orientalist. Like it's, it's written by some French people, but they, they do all of the things that I want them to do when they're talking about another culture. So Chin the Warring States is a, is a great thing to look at for inspiration there. And maybe someday someone will run it for me. Um, <laughs> and then I guess I don't like to talk about, it feels like cheating to talk about games that I'm working on, but there's Hearts of Wulin, which is an apocalypse world hack to do uh, Chinese wuxia fiction. I guess I should explain what wuxia is. It's the it's the genre of Chinese fiction that gives us what we now think of as kung fu movies. It's a tradition of martial adventure that has a very, very long history in China and characterizes many great culture-defining Chinese classics. So Hearts of Wulin is an attempt to capture the melodrama especially of wuxia. It doesn't get really deep into the peculiarities of combat styles and stuff like that stuff comes up in a narrative context but it's not attempting to be realistic or realistically depict martial arts it's supposed to catch the flavor of how combat feels in jin young novels or crouching tiger hidden dragon or shaw brothers movies or stuff like that and you can you can totally plug work your stuff you're working on oh yeah yeah i'm fine with you shilling that (laughs) Sweet. So yeah, um, I'm writing a stretch goal for Hearts of Wulin, and the stretch goal is called Fight Me IRL. It's about, uh, it's a sort of a cyberpunk take on Wuxia Melodrama, which expands the content of the game into the near future. So it brings in stuff like mixed martial arts and internet drama about martial arts and the rise of cultural appropriators who are taking ancient martial secrets and then teaching them for $500 an hour over Skype that this is real, this this exists now. Imagine that it does, yeah. Yeah. And I'm excited about how it it's an opportunity to bring a lot of like the pressures and the cultures of globalization into the world of Hearts of Wulin. And it's also a great opportunity to talk about all of the internet drama that goes on in the martial arts world that normally I only get to talk about with people at the dojo. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Hearts that's of Wulin, cool. me IRL. <laughs> Thank you. And then I am writing a game called Thousand Arrows. It kickstarted late last year. It is a historical fiction slash fantasy game about the Japanese Warring States period of 1467 to 1603 CE. And so, yeah, it's samurai drama and tragedy and action in the vein of Kurosawa. And it doesn't get super deep into Japanese fighting styles, but it does talk about a few of the combat systems which were popular or developing during that period of like 150 years of Japanese civil war. It feels iconoclastic from a Western perspective because it's a it's a time in Japanese warfare that's really, really different from what we associate with Japanese warfare based on like Western facing samurai fiction and Legend of the Five Rings and stuff like that. For example, at the end of the Warring States period, it's highly likely that there were more muskets in Japan than there were in all of Europe put together. And the most feared weapon on the Japanese battlefield and the the reason that Japan was almost able to conquer Korea in the 1590s was the samurai's mastery of the matchlock arquebus. So there's just gunpowder and betrayal everywhere. And samurai generally acting in ways you would not associate with Japanese people in general or samurai in particular based on Western stereotypes. So, and I draw on a lot of the stuff that I practice week to week at the dojo to influence that. 
So hopefully I'm going to do a good job. I bet money on it. I was trying to say something cool and it was just like, oh, yeah, I think it's going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) Great audio. Great audio. Yeah. Just pick something cool I said earlier and edit it in. Thanks. Uh, (laughs) I look forward to it. Yeah, cool. And Hearts of Wulin is not done by white people predominantly, right? Uh, Lowell Francis uh, is white, but uh, Agatha Cheng, who is also one of the main developers, is Taiwanese, I think. If I get this wrong, uh, Agatha, you can totally call me out on on Asians Represent. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I didn't mean to to unintentionally get you in hot water there. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. All Asians are supposed to know the ethnicities of all other Asians naturally. Yeah, it's like a it's a racial trait. I'm sure we're listed with that in the monster manual. <laughs> he he made the joke, not me. <laughs> yeah, if you say it, it's racist. It's, after I say it, it's very racist. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Us, like like my co-host is here. Anyway, yeah. so if you, our listeners, were enjoying this. You can listen to more of the show at bxpcast.com, part of the Misdirected Mark Network. If you want to shoot us an email, questions for us. I was going to say questions for Mendez, but that's a, we'll get to that in a bit. If you want to be a guest, if you want to send us cool pictures of your pets, if you want to complain about what anything we just talked about, we'll ignore you. You can send that to bonusexpcast at gmail.com. If you want to tweet at us with, you know, any of those things, you can tweet at us at bonus exp cast. Um, and if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Zenith Sun. Don't know why you'd want to follow me, but hey, you can. Mendez, where can they find you? Uh, so my website is jamesmendezhodes.com. Uh, the link's going to be in the description. I am on Twitter at Lula Vampiro. Link also in the description. And yeah, definitely contact me if you have more questions about martial arts or game stuff or you want to fight me IRL. I, I would totally love to fight you all IRL if we meet at a convention. I'm, I'm always down to spar. That's, that's not actually a joke. Please spar me. It's fun. It's my favorite thing to do. Regardless of your experience level, I totally want to fight you, whoever you are. Okay, well, I guess I'll bring equipment with me to next Metatopia. Please do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You can see how far I can kick. It's pretty impressive. Sweet. (laughs) I know how tall you are. I'm scared. (laughs) Also, surprisingly, uh, unsurprisingly, Flippy. Like, uh, been multiple instances in which someone in a sparring match has been like, oh, you you look like you weigh 20 pounds and are made of twigs, and they think they can just throw me right to the ground. But I'm like, except now that I'm, now I'm on you. (laughs) My world is full. (laughs) <laughs> and you have to deal with this. My world is full <laughs> of people who look like they would not be able to do exactly what you're describing. And yet <laughs> there's a, there's a teacher in, in the Bujin Khan uh, named PJ Dixon and watching this guy fight is just, is just unreal. Cause he can't, he can't move his arms or legs. Really. He can move his, he can move his head and his jaw and he can move his torso but watching him fight is like watching like an early 20th century movie like slapstick routine because like you punch him and he'll dodge out of the way, trap your fist against wheelchair, ram you in the leg, trip you and like run you over. <laughs> and he's also because he 
because he doesn't have the same physical arrangement as anybody who he's teaching, he's also the best verbal teacher I've ever seen in any martial art. His descriptions of what you should be doing are like above and beyond any other teacher I've ever experienced. And I think he's going to be teaching at a seminar I get to go to next week. So that's going to be dope. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't practiced in a studio or formal school in a long time, mostly because I don't have any money. Yeah. Details. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, we'll, we'll have fun in November. Yes. Yes, we will. It was great to talk to you. It was great uh, to talk to you. This was really fun, and I don't often get to talk about this top this topic. So, thank you so much. You're you're welcome. It was a real treat. Do I have to do this? Really? Fine. Bones Experience is written and produced by Monica and Ray, and edited by Margaret. What the fuck? You didn't even plan on giving me credit? Our logo and art is by Nino Studios. Find her on Facebook and Instagram. Our theme song is Reuse Noise with the Light by CDK, and is used under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons License. BXP is part of the Misdirected Mark Network. What? No, I'm not going to make a stupid gaming pun. Bye.